I want to share this scripture here uh, before I start to teach tonight. It's just I, I was sitting here. I felt like God just dropped this scripture in on my heart, and, and maybe it's a, a word of encouragement for somebody tonight, or maybe it's just for myself. <laughs> Sometimes God just does that for you. But I figured I wanted to take a step of obedience and share it with you all tonight. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, and you will seek me and find me when you search me with all of your heart. And uh, that's just a promise from the Bible. It also says in, in, in the Bible, the New Testament says that those who draw near to God, that God will draw near to them. And, you know, this is in light of, of uh, our effort and pray first as a church, but really not just in this, this month of January, but any, any time of the year, as you endeavor to draw near to God, it is a promise from the Bible that God will draw near to you. And here we are Wednesday in the middle of the week. We're at church, everybody. You're drawing to God. And I want to remind you that when you do that, as you continue to do that, that God will draw near to you. That's a promise. Amen. Would you receive that tonight? Awesome. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Daniel. I uh, get to be a part of the teaching team on Wednesday nights, and I'm part of the children's ministry here. And um, I, get to, I get to share with you all tonight, which is a blessing for me. It's an honor. And tonight I get to kick off a new series that uh, we, we've prayed about, we've talked about, we feel led to share with you all. And the series title is, is called Questions from God. And in the Bible, uh, we see different uh, interactions from, from God to different individuals. Sometimes it's to a group of people. And God is a relational God where he desires to communicate with his people, right? And, and there's particular, sto uh, particular stories in the Bible where God not only just gives a command, not only just says something, but he actually asks a question. And over the last several years... And even up to this, this day, today, uh, in my participation in ministry, in my interaction with different people, at different levels of faith, in, in me just studying this, I've, I've come to appreciate questions. I've come to value questions. Uh, how many of you ever heard this phrase, there's no such thing as a stupid question? How many of you heard of that, right? Now, maybe for some of you, you might challenge that, right? Maybe if you have kids, you might, you might challenge that phrase. And, you know, there's a stage in the child's life where all they do is ask questions. And a lot of times it's the questions that you've already answered. And sometimes you might feel that it's not an, a, an adequate question. It's not really a good question. It doesn't really have weight. But I believe that that phrase does have value and it does have weight. Not just because of what the question is, but because what is two, twofold here that I see. What is behind the question and what the question has potential to do. Those two things that make a question in itself valuable. Uh, what's behind the question can very well be a sincere motive to grow. How many know that if you want to grow, the first step that you got to come to terms with is to come to terms with yourself that you do not know everything there needs to be known about this subject. And therefore, I should ask questions. I should seek out answers so that I can receive knowledge and information and understanding so then I can grow. And so I think that there's no such thing as a stupid question or questions are not a negative thing because 
there can very well be a sincere motive behind that question and a sincere heart to grow. And that alone is valuable. I think another reason that questions are important is because of its potential, and particularly the potential to go deeper in a conversation. I believe that when questions are asked, it gives us the, the, the opportunity to go deeper in conversation. It gives us the opportunity, opportunity to build a relationship. And I really believe when you talk about God, the God of the universe, the God who knows all things, who dares ask a question, I really believe that God asks a question not because he's looking for the answer. <laughs> I think God knows the answer. I really believe that our God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. He's all-powerful. And he knows all things. And so I don't think he's asking a question to figure out the answer. He's really asking the question for you to figure out an answer. I think, I think this is amazing about our God because it, it reveals to us a relational God. God can very well be, and I think there's sometimes in our lives where we wish God would just tell us what to do and just give us the right direction and we could just get out of this prayer time and know exactly what to do, but I think that defeats the purpose of relationship. I think sometimes we like that, but I think big picture, it eliminates the opportunity to go deeper with God. It eliminates the opportunity to grow in our hearts and not just find the solution to our problems. I believe God's plan with asking questions is to invite us to pause and to think, to respond. I think that God wants us to reflect and interact. And I believe that God wants to reveal something to us as we go through this series the next few weeks in the question that he's asking. He wants to expose something. He wants to reveal something to you because he already knows it, but he wants you to know it. And so for tonight, if you're taking notes, you want to know what question we're going to talk about tonight. It is one of the first questions that God asked, and it's in the garden. And the question that God asked Adam particularly that we want to, I want to study tonight is this question. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Uh, this is one of the first questions that God ever asked and, and that's recorded in the book of Genesis. And just to kind of set up the story here, Genesis 1.1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. And you continue to read Genesis, you start to see that day by day, God creates by speaking things into existence. The Bible says that he said, let there be light, and there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness, and he called light day and dark night. And the Bible says he created a firmament between the waters and he separated the waters that were low and the waters that were high. And he called this space heaven or sky. And he, be, he continued to speak things into existence. I think it's so powerful in the creation account that the Bible begins to say that, that there was void and darkness, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I think that's just kind of a side note. That's, that's really what I believe in the power of words that that the Holy Spirit is just hovering and he is ready to create. He is ready to move on behalf of your faith, on behalf of your words, just like he did in the beginning. 
God the Father, God the Son, they were ready to do, speak something, but it was the Spirit of God that hovered and was ready to go to work. And, of course, God created the seas. He separated the waters from the land. He created vegetation and seed and trees and stars and the moon and the sun. He created animals. And he did all of this day by day, and it's recording in the, recorded in the beginning. But then the Bible says that he forms man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathes life into him. Very unique from what, what he did with the other parts of creation. And very unique in, in, in how he created mankind. The Bible says that we are created according to his image and according to his likeness. In Genesis verse two, chapter 2, verse 8, not on the screens, but it says, God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. Verse 16 says this, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And if we continue to read here, verse 25, it says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife. And very key here in this, in this, in this context, in this study, is that they were not ashamed. They were naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, at this point, we see an amazing creation. We see an amazing account of the Bible, of creation, and a powerful creator. And we don't know exactly how much time passes by before what we know as the next biggest event happens and takes place, which, if you know the story, uh, it, we know it as the fall of man. You know that what God had commanded Adam and Eve not to do is the very same thing that they did. And, you know, I've talked with different people uh, in studying this. I've even asked myself this question. I think at some degree in our faith, we've all, we've all asked this something to, to, the, to, to the nature of this question. That is, why did God even put that tree in the garden? Like, we had the tree of life. We had all of these trees. The Bible speaks of this garden. There's rivers running through it. It seems like paradise. It seems like it was amazing. But yet there's this, there's this thing there. There's this tree there. There's this op- option to do what's wrong. And, and if you think about it and if you let yourself just go there a little bit without dishonoring God, you're saying, why, why would you even put that tree in the first place? Maybe if that tree was never there, maybe Adam and Eve would have never sinned. And that might be true. And I, the, 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 the reason I'm bringing this up is not to bring a, a, an answer to that question because I don't think we will ever truly know, at least on this earth. But what I will submit to you is this, that God is a relational God. God is a God who desires relationship. And when you think about relationship and you think about love and you think about trust and these strong components of a relational of a relationship it is impossible to love somebody without there being an option to not love somebody does that make sense it's impossible to to freely love somebody if if there's no other choice if the only choice that you have is that you have to do that, 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 that is a fabricated relationship. But when there is the option that, 
to not love, to not trust, to not connect, then that makes love love. Why? Because love is a choice. Love is a choice. Love is a choice that you make one day and that you continue to make every day. Those of us who are married in, this, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the sanctuary tonight, I think that part of what makes love between you and your spouse special is that you or your spouse may have had the opportunity to choose somebody else. But we won. Whatever we did, whatever we continue to do, she chose us and we chose her. The spouse chose the other. And that love is what makes it special is because I chose you and you chose me. And this, you were not my only option. <laughs> you were not the only person on the face of the earth. You were not the only way that I can love. I had this choice. I pursued you. You pursued me. We came to an agreement that we loved each other and we decided to seal that love, and we decide today to love each other every day. Why? Because it's a choice. Love is a choice. And I believe that it might not be the answer to this question, but I believe that it, it can speak into this reason why maybe there was this tree there. Maybe there was this opportunity for Adam, for Eve to decide, to say that I do choose this relationship over this piece of information here over this temptation, over this thing that might seem intriguing or seem that I need it. And so we continue reading the Bible. We see that in this story that, that they do indeed fall. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And we know that the serpent is the devil because of what it says in Revelation. It says, that the old, that old serpent, the devil, talks about in Revelation when he was cast into the lake of fire. And so I believe it speaks into this, talking about this serpent here in verse, verse 1 in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. And she begins to, to interact with the serpent. She begins to talk a little bit. And, and you, you, you find out that there's a conversation between the woman and the serpent. And he convinces her to, that it's okay to eat from this tree. The same tree that God commanded them not to eat from. The same tree that God said that if you were to eat of this tree, that that same day you would die. That same tree that God said, hey... There's this tree, but there's also so many other trees. There's also so many other things in the garden. And so just abstain, be, just stay away from this tree. That same tree is the same tree that she partook of it. And the Bible says she gave to the man and he partook of it. In verse 7, it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were naked. They became aware of their nakedness. It's not that they were not naked before, but it's, it's that they became aware of their nakedness. And here's the result of that. They sewed fig, tree, uh, fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam, and he said to him, where are you? 
And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Who told you that you were naked? It's really a deep question. And this is, you know, this is the, 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 the point to the message here. When God asked Adam, who told you you were naked? God was not asking, where are your clothes? God was not asking, you know, who told you that, that, that you should have clothes and you don't have clothes? It's, it's really a deeper question. And, and, and when he says to him, who told you you were naked? This is a result of Adam's sin. This is a result of Eve's sin. Is that they became aware of their nakedness. You see, the story of the garden is a lot deeper than a couple who broke a rule. Because in the surface, that's what we read. You've, you've heard this story before, and you know it as the original sin. You know it as the fall of man. And you see this, and you connect that, man, Adam ruined it for mankind. Adam and Eve, they broke the rule, the number one rule that God told them not to break. But when you understand that this question has a deeper meaning, you begin to see that Really, their nakedness was, was their shame coming to the surface. Really, their nakedness was their fear coming to the surface. And so God was really asking, who told you, who showed you shame? Who showed you fear? Why is it that you ran? Why is it that you hid from me? Who told you that you were naked? It's more than just a couple who broke a rule, but it is really the story of a couple who broke a connection. Because their connection prior to this was to the source of the living God. It is to the tree of life. It was to God himself. And the moment that they chose to disobey and to believe a lie that the serpent presented to them was the moment that they disconnected themselves from God. And that they connected themselves to this tree of life, or I'm sorry, this tree of knowledge of good of evil. Really connecting themselves to themselves. And being aware of what was not there. Of being aware of, 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 of a lack of provision that God never intended for them. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you to feel shame? Who told you? To feel this fear. Who told you to take your eyes off of me and put them on yourself? Who told you that I was not enough? I think if God can get a hold of you tonight, I think he would ask you a question that would be similar to this question. Who told you that you were not enough? Who told you that you weren't worthy enough? Who told you that you failed too much for me to still use you for my kingdom and for my glory. Who told you that you're sick, you're too sick to get healed? Who told you that Jesus was not enough to love you enough to accept you in the brethren, in the kingdom of God? Who told you? You know what that question is connected to? That question is connected to shame that we have felt. That question is connected to fear that paralyzes us 
to continue to do the thing that God called you to do. And it's interesting because sometimes it's connected to your weakness. And you see it, and you see it as a disqualification. You see it as a hindrance. But the Bible says that when you're weak, he is strong. Who told you that you were not enough? Who told you? And you fill in that blank. Who told you that? God would ask you that tonight. Who told you you were naked? It wasn't God. And some would teach that this is the beginning of a conscious, you know, of, of feeling yourself in that separation. The Bible talks about that. And when you study this out and you, and you look at trying to find the answer, really you don't see that the serpent told them that they were naked. The serpent didn't go up and say, hey, you guys realize you're naked? And they're like, oh, my goodness, we're naked. Let's go run and hide and cover ourselves. That's not really how it went down. The Bible says that the serpent was the most cunning animal. Here's what I think God would reveal to us. Here's what I think that maybe if there was another way that this went down, if, if, if Adam interacted with God, if Adam answered God with a sincere heart and, 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 and just saying, hey, this is what happened and I'm, let me humble myself because what really happened is that he began to blame and, and then he blamed, the, he's like, oh, it's the woman, the woman that you gave me. She's the one that gave me to eat. And then he talks to Eve, he says, what happened? He's like, well, it's that serpent. That serpent deceived me. So there was just this blame which happens when we disconnect ourselves from God. Naturally is that we blame. But I think God would reveal these things to us in this question and any question that brings shame to you, that brings fear, that brings guilt, that brings condemnation. The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Bible does say that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. And that's a difference because condemnation is not from God. Condemnation gives you no hope, and it speaks of your identity that you are not worthy. But conviction speaks of what you did, and it gives you hope, and it brings you back to Jesus. I think God would tell us that you need to know that you have an enemy. You need to know that you have an enemy. And you need to know that all sources of evil and lies is from the enemy. Of course, you see in, in verse 1, you see that the enemy uses the serpent. Again, not to say that directly that you're naked, but he uses a lie to bring them to a place of shame, of sin, which then leads them to shame. What does he say? He says, has God said, has God said, did God really say? Did God say that if you were to do this, that it would be bad? Well, let me present to you this idea. And we need to know that we have an enemy who is constantly challenging the truth of God's word for your life. There's an enemy who will come and attack the truth with the form of a lie. I'm not sure that Adam and Eve were aware that there was an enemy. And I think God would reveal that to them in this. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your enemy, 
the one who opposes you, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's his MO. That's what he does. He does nothing else but to look for who he can devour, who can, he can present a lie to so that he can try to disconnect you from God. We need to know that we have an enemy, but we also need to know that we have our position in Christ Jesus, and Jesus has defeated the devil. The other thing we need to know about this is that we are not to engage in conversation with the enemy. You see, even, of course, maybe there's ignorance there. She didn't know. But the truth is, if we don't learn and if we don't, or we're not taught by the word, then we're also ignorant that when the, the serpent asked her a question, she then responded with an answer, and she's, she's carrying a conversation with the wrong person here. But the Bible says this in James chapter 4. It says, submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The way we make the devil flee is not by our words and convincing him and doing anything that is directly speaking to him. The way that we make him flee is by resisting him, is by rebuking him, is by recognizing that what he has to say is a lie. I think the other thing that God would show Adam and Eve and he would teach us is that he would let us know that, yes, we have an enemy, but we also have a responsibility. We have a responsibility in what we choose to believe. The Bible says that we are to fight the good fight of faith. And where we choose to place our trust in and our faith in will determine how we see each other, ourselves and how we respond, how we react, and how we live our lives. I wonder what it would happen if Adam said, I messed up. You know, when, when God first gave that commandment in verse 16 in chapter 2, he says, you know, I'm going to give you authority and just don't eat of this tree. It's actually, that was in verse 16. In verse 18, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he made the woman. I just, I just think that's interesting because, he gave Adam the command before Eve was even on earth. And when God confronts Adam, he blames Eve. Eve was not even present when God gave him the first command. It's not to say that she was not responsible. But I wonder how much more responsible Adam was. And I just wonder what that would have looked like. And I believe that God would reveal that to us, that, yeah, we have an enemy, but we are not to live our lives just blaming the devil over everything that ever happens to us or how we respond to things. We are also responsible in how we respond to the lies that the enemy presents to us. Who told you that you were naked? What is it that he's feeding you and resist him? And number three, I think he would reveal to you and he would let you know you have an enemy, you have a responsibility, but you also have a loving father. You have a father who still walks towards you, who still calls you by name, even though he knows you're hiding, <laughs> even though he knows that you know that you're full of shame, he still says, hey, where are you? And what are you doing? And who told you this? The first thing that they do is they run and hide. The second thing that they do is they try to fix their own sin, <laughs> and they try to fix their own mistakes. How many of you have ever been there? It's natural. When we sin, 
When we disobey God, when we disconnect ourselves from God and we connect ourselves to something else that is not life-giving, that is not truth, the first thing naturally that we tend to do or want to do is to run and hide and to cover ourselves and try to fix ourselves. The problem with these two things is that you can never hide from God because David said, even if I make my bed in hell, you're there. So you can't hide from God because he knows. And the problem with the leaves is that they dry up. (laughs) They might work for a little bit, but eventually they dry up. And what was covering you is going to fall off and expose your nakedness, your shame, and what you're feeling in the sin and the, the mistakes that you made. God wants you to know that he is a loving father. You know, there's a story that kind of connects this story in the Bible, and, and, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it's an awesome story. It's a story about a father and a daughter, and a father who cherishes his daughter, and every night they spend time together, and they talk, and he just expresses his love to her, and he lets her know how much he loves her, and how special she is, and how beautiful she is, and how important she is, and how valuable she is. And every night they get to talk, and, but he always makes it a point to let her know that she's beautiful, that she is valuable, and that he loves her. And one day she goes to school, and she is confronted with bullies, and these other kids in her class begin to tell her that she is ugly and that she is not cool, she is not good enough. And she is, you know, whatever that she thinks of of herself, that confidence that she's walking with, that's false, that's wrong. She's ugly and she's worth nothing. So this little girl comes home, so influenced by what she heard, so hurt by what she heard, so affected by these, these, these names that the bullies called her, that she goes to the bathroom and she cuts her hair off and she tries her best to make herself look pretty. And she realizes that what she did is actually worse. And when time comes for her to sit down with her father, as was her custom, she chose to run and hide instead. And the dad, of course, realizes that, you know, his little girl was not coming to speak with him. So he goes to seek her out, to find her in her room in a corner crying, hiding. And what I believe in this story happens, I believe is what happened in the garden, and I believe is what happens when we find ourselves in a predicament like this, in a situation like this, where the father comes up to the daughter. See, I have two daughters, and I can relate to this, two little girls. And is hurt in his heart to see what he sees. And he confronts her and he approaches her and he hugs her and she's just so ashamed. And he says, where were you? I was waiting for you. And she says, well, the kids at school said that I'm ugly and I, that I'm not beautiful and that, that I just, I'm not worth anything and I'm not good enough to hang out with them. And so I tried to do this and she's sobbing. And the father responds and he says, who told you that you were not beautiful? Who told you that you were not worthy, that you were not valuable? Who told you that? You see, when you, when, when you understand that, it's, it, it's not this furious God that comes in and crashes and says, 
who told you that you were this and where were you? It's, it's this loving God that is actually hurt and realizes that somebody robbed from his child. That somebody tried to instill this lie of identity and it is so wrong. And the only reason that they believe this, the only reason that they're in this state is because they accepted that lie. And as a parent, the right thing to do is not to respond with, out of fear and say, well, my girl's never going to school again because I never want that to happen again. That's fear. As a parent, the right response in that story would be to strengthen that relationship with that little girl and love that little girl and cherish that little girl and allow that little girl to see who she really is. The answer in this question that God may ask you, who told you you were blank? You fill in the blank. The answer is to come to the Father. The answer is to get in the word and to reveal the truth and to come and strengthen a relationship that it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you, what is, is, is said to you, the attacks that come to you because of your relationship with your heavenly father, you know who you are. And you choose to receive who he says that you are. Smith Wigglesworth says, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm moved by what I believe. And I want to ask you tonight, what do you believe? Who are you listening to? What news do you believe, choose to believe? Beautiful thing about this story is that it's not the end of the Bible. God had a plan, a redemptive plan. In Romans chapter 5, verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness, act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And that one man, that second Adam, his name is Jesus. God had a plan of redemption, and Jesus changes it all. Because of Jesus, we can run to the Father, and we can know the truth about who we are in Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray? I want to ask that everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. I want to, I want to um, invite, maybe, maybe it's somebody, maybe it's a few people tonight who may not have made that decision yet to surrender their lives to Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel far from God. You feel separated from God. I want to say that tonight is your night to get close to God. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, and you confess with your mouth that he rose again, that you will be saved. And you will have eternal life. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask, if that's you tonight, you say, I feel far from God, and I want to come to Jesus tonight, would you raise your hand nice and high? I just want to acknowledge you so that we can pray with you. Is there anybody here tonight that says, pray for me? God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. I see you. Thank you. Let's pray with those who raise their hand, and let's pray with faith. Let's pray out loud. Say, oh God, 
I come to you tonight just as I am. And I surrender my life. I surrender my heart to you. Jesus, I believe that you died for me to wash my sins and make me righteous. And I believe that you rose on the third day. Tonight, I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior. Come rule and reign in me. And from this day forward, I will live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give it up for those who made this decision the best decision you could ever make?